Welcome to the Safeguarding Podcast. In each episode, we'll discuss a different safeguarding topic with a range of expert speakers. Please be aware some of this content is sensitive and listener discretion is advised. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Safeguarding Podcast. My name is Vicky Chafe, and I am Head of Community Relations here at the Safeguarding Company. Jeremy, it is so good to have you here today. Would you mind just introducing yourself, please? Hi, thanks for the invitation to come on to the podcast. My name is Jeremy Indica. I raise awareness for child sexual abuse online. I have various platforms where I'm doing that, creating film, animation, photography, all around the subject and using the most creative ways that I can think of to communicate what is very difficult topic to watch or listen to. Absolutely, absolutely. What made you start your journey? So I actually began speaking out about the sexual abuse that I went through when I was a child, when I was 27 years old. The abuse actually finished when I was 10 years old, so that was 17 years afterwards. I started speaking to some close friends about what happened, and the more I spoke about it, the more confident I got with speaking about it, the more more encouraged I was to tell more people. And then I started wondering about what was going on out there, who else was going through similar things, where was it being talked about, what was going on on the internet, and I started researching. Now, prior to this, I had not had any links to anyone that had been uh, gone through an experience of abuse, or uh, I wasn't following anybody on social media. I was a young man. I was an engineer. I was uh, out partying with my friends, us- leading a, a usual, a general, generally usual life. Let's say. So when I started investigating, I started seeing the magnitude of what was going on, the scale of what was going on. So many people um, suffering with their story, the memories of their story, um, a lot of people explaining that they had nowhere to go, uh, they had no one to, um, no one showing them that they could speak about this with strength, strength and courage. And, and that's really why I wanted to um, change that narrative. I decided to start sharing my story in public online. It started getting traction. I started sharing it at open mic nights in London um, to live audiences. And one thing has led to another. And now we're nearly four years down the road. And I've got a YouTube channel. I've got a website. I've got social media platforms and I've recently, I say recently, last year launched this movement called Something to Say, um, where giving other people the opportunity to also share their stories. I've I've been fortunate enough to be on your website and I think that it's absolutely fantastic and all the videos that are on there are incredibly supportive and you're so open and honest about everything that's happened to, to you as well do you feel that because you've been so open about what's happened to you that is is what's encouraging other people to speak out for sure I believe that to be the case I feel like it's so incredible for anybody that wants to speak about their experience to see someone else speaking about their experience <clears throat> and I also always like to add that if you are new to my pages or let's say you, it's the first time you're coming across my work, I'm pretty sure, like you're saying, it's so great to see 
um, myself on camera speaking very openly about my experiences as a child. But this has been a gradual process. Um, as I mentioned, tw- I was 27 when I spoke out for the first time about what happened. Prior to that, the only people that knew on this planet was myself and the man that did this. So I'm now 37 years old. So it's been 10 years of speaking and and um, progress and development within myself to begin speaking about it more openly, more openly, trying to analyse actually what happened, trying to look back and seeing what went wrong. Why was this allowed to happen? Why did I never say anything when this was going on? Why was it not until I was 27 till I spoke out, 17 years after the abuse? And now on my pages and my YouTube channel, I'm trying to investigate all of these things because I believe there's such strength in the story, right? There's there's incredible power in, in, in each of our stories, um, abuse or not. Everybody's life story holds so much power because there's so many lessons to be learned. What went right, what went wrong? And I want to use my story to find out what went wrong um, and what we can do better today and what we can start implementing so that this stops happening to so many children, even still today. I mean, it's it's so empowering. And as you said, it took you until you were 27 to to open up and to start talking about this. What do you think now you've been analysing, what do you think were the barriers for you opening up about what had happened to you? So first of all, I didn't actually really start thinking about what happened until I was 25 years old, so 15 years after the abuse. And there's some statistics out there that I don't know off the top of my head about men speaking out, but generally it seems to be happening in their mid-20s. And it was then when the abuse really started bothering me. Now, prior to that, from 10 years old to 25 years old, I'd never forgotten about what happened. Something would come up in conversation or something would come up on the TV that would remind me of it, send me off balance for a moment, but it would just be a moment. You know, I had a great career. I had great friends. I was out partying at the weekends, enjoying myself. But at 25, that changed. It was like something was bothering me and I realized that it was actually the abuse and I sat with it for two years because of course no man in his 20s wants to talk to anyone about what happened to him when he was a child when it comes to something sexual and when it comes to another man doing that to him you know there's this real fear around that there's I'm still trying to explain what those barriers were um, from 25 when I realised that the abuse was a big problem in my head to 27. Why, what was the difficulty in saying something? Well, probably the first thing is you're worried about what people may think of you because essentially you were tricked and you were fooled, you were manipulated, you were groomed into doing something so horrific, so out of nature, so um, against uh, a child's nature there's something slightly embarrassing about that. Um, there's something slightly shameful about that. It's not something that you want to talk about openly, especially with, okay, now, obviously, one of the options is to go and talk to a professional about that. But that wasn't anything in my mind. I wanted to talk to my boys about it, my mates. And, you know, that's a very challenging thing to talk about. Um, so there's many barriers here. 
And I think that they're being broken now because we have the the internet, we have the, the, the incredible tool of social media. And if you wish to speak out about something, you can now go and find other people very quickly that are doing the same thing. Um, so I'm hoping that, that now we are starting to really break down the barriers. It's really, really challenging, isn't it? Because it's, as you said, quite a lot of it is your preconceptions of what people are going to think about you and how this reflects on you and that's so challenging in in to to move your story forward and to be able to to open up about everything that's going on or that has gone on that might be too big a barrier for some people mightn't it 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 really could be it really could be too big a barrier and so I speak a lot on my pages about other ways that you can release your story if you wish to. <clears throat> One of them is um, journaling. I often say, you know, I, I, I don't think that speaking about your story is the correct option for everybody. Everybody's different. Maybe you never actually want to talk about what happened to you when you were a child because that's not a box you want to open. And I don't think we should be advising everybody that they must speak out and they must go to a therapist and they must do this. I mean, who are we to tell anybody what they must do with their story? I think we should just lay out as many options as possible and allow people to take whichever one they that suits them currently. And one of the ones that I'm a big advocate for is journaling. You know, if it's too much of a barrier to speak with someone, face to face then what you could do is you could begin just writing your story on a piece of paper and release it that way one of my advices is just sit down and write two sentences but write them in the way that when you read them back to yourself they make you feel strong and then next week let's say you did this on a Wednesday next Wednesday just set a target of writing two more sentences and rewriting the original two if you feel like you can write them in a way that when you read them back to yourself, make you feel strong. And then every week you're adding two more sentences to this story. And then you start to form your story and you're releasing it and putting it on the page. Because one of the things that definitely was a incredible realization was when I spoke about this for the first time, the feeling of release that I got, the feeling of confidence that I got through telling the story or releasing the story was absolutely incredible. It was like you begin to own the story and it stops owning you. Yeah, and I can totally see that. And I, and I so agree with what you're saying that for some people, you know, telling their story isn't, isn't the right option for them. And it is very much a personal journey and everybody has their own way of, of dealing with it. And that idea of writing out a journal. Some people have written books, haven't they? And they and they might have put the those books in third person. Mm. So they're they're almost saying that it didn't happen to me, it happened to this character. Right. And that's another way that that they've been able to to deal with it. So you're absolutely right. There are definitely lots of other ways to to support yourself through what, what has happened to you. Absolutely. When you when you were a child, do you feel that there could have been anything that was said or or shown to you maybe at school that might have made you have that little bit more courage to to say something or realise that actually what what was happening was wrong? I think that's the main point of of uh, the discussion when we look back at my story 
when I was a child. So I was eight years old when this was going on. And at that time, there was nothing alarming for me. There was no, I had no tools or knowledge to identify that what I was involved in was wrong. Um, and therefore, I never said anything about it at the time that it was going on. I didn't think I needed to. I didn't even think it was a thing. It was just a part of my life that was going on. The grooming process worked incredibly on me. It's a very clever process. Um, and it brainwashed me and manipulated me into thinking that. I mean, he had me wrapped around his little finger. I was never saying anything. And as I said, I didn't know that I needed to say anything. So when I was eight years old, it was 1993, there was definitely nothing being talked about in schools about this. I know for sure it's completely changed now. I feel like we have a long way to go, but I also feel like we should feel optimistic that there has been change. But also, in 1993, there wasn't even the internet. So it wasn't like I had a phone or I was watching YouTube or I was watching music videos that had these suggestions of um, uh, had these uh, sexual displays in them um, for me to see that I was kissing this man and but you don't normally see children kissing adults. Um, adults only kiss adults. Oh maybe I'm involved in something that I shouldn't be right okay cuddling, sexual cuddling, what sex is, um, all, all of these things, I, I, I had no education or information on this, of course there was no conversations being had in my home, there were no conversations being had in anyone's home, there are no conversations being had in everyone's home today even more so, it's still happening, I believe that's one of the areas where we're lacking the most, so I had no tools or knowledge to understand that what I was involved in was wrong, I feel like the kissing thing is something that is very difficult for people to get their head around, Anyone that's listening to this that has never really listened to any stories of abuse or even maybe has listened to stories of abuse, I feel like the kissing thing is is something that is never really spoken about. Um, he taught me how to kiss him. We were French kissing. And that's something that he really liked doing. That was a very gentle experience for me. It was a very loving and caring experience for me. The act of kissing is very, very romantic. And he taught me how to do that. What, how in 1993 at eight years old would I ever know, you know, that it, it was, it's not painful, it's not disturbing me, it's not uncomfortable, so I had no chance, I had no chance, I was a naive child and I would like to see us turn this around to give children, equip children with the tools and the knowledge to understand if something's happening to them and what they can do about it. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And it's something that, you know, we, we've spoken about before we started this podcast was that as a, as a parent and as a previous designated safeguarding lead, I can't look after these children 20, 24-7. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not physically going to be with them all that time, so I can't protect them. But what I can do is I can give them the tools to protect themselves. And the only way that I'm going to be able to do that is by having these conversations about what is right and what is wrong. And as you were saying that, you know, some of the experiences that, that you had, certainly with the, with the kissing as well, it was it was a caring experience. Mm. It was a loving experience. <clears throat> and for some of our other 
uh, victims of abuse that are possibly in a vulnerable position as well, that they might have been in, in care homes or foster care where they're, they're desperate for that kind of affection and attention, that would seem something that would be really well well welcomed almost right. because they're having that that kind of connection with somebody that they that they so desperately want right okay and even when you take it to um somebody in a family home as well um where you where you just made the comment about possibly children or young teenagers in foster care or and they're seeking that attention that maybe was absent through their previous years we also need to remember that all children by nature are looking for attention. They're looking for praise. I mean, how many times? Mummy, look at me. Mummy, look at me. Daddy, watch this. Watch this. Watch this. That's their nature. They're always yeah. looking for approval, connection, love, care. Yeah. So as soon as an adult shows them that, which is actually disguised as the grooming process, they're going to respond very, very quickly um, we are often surprised that these situations are happening. We shouldn't be surprised. Actually, it's quite straightforward to groom a child, um, especially if they're not in if they don't have the tools and the knowledge to protect themselves. Now, one thing that I fully understand is that anger that we all feel and lots of people feel that we need to even teach children these things. And yes, we are angry that we live in a world where we need to teach children these things. Um, I recently interviewed somebody on my YouTube channel who expressed that the prevention of sexual abuse primarily starts with adults because we need to stop the adults from doing this to children. And I completely agree, but I feel like we also need to do both sides of this coin because we live in a world where that's necessary. Um, we are more than happy and we all agree that the stranger danger conversation is is necessary as soon as the child understands language we are teaching the child don't speak to anybody that you don't know they may take you away from mummy and daddy and this conversation has been happening for generations and we've accepted it as necessary we're not happy that we have to give that information but we accept that it's necessary so we carry it out and this is across board right this happens every country um so the conversation around private areas i would love to see enter into that circle of education absolutely and there there are so many more resources out there for for parents to have those kind of discussions with their children and i and i appreciate that you know as a parent it is really difficult to have those kind of conversations the nspcc have got some fabulous resources there to support parents to have those conversations about there's the whole program that's uh, the talking pants one which I'm sure that you you've seen where that's even talking to to nursery age children about it and I totally echo what you're saying about that you know it's it's hurtful that you have to teach your children this but you have to teach your children how to cross the road safely because right. the danger's there and and as much as you don't want the danger to be there you've got to do it right um and one of the thoughts that came to my mind as you were saying that is with the plenty of resources out there, I mean, I think we're in uh, the best position we've ever been in, in, the, yeah. in like the history of the human race when it comes to how many resources are out there. But there's one problem with it, and that is those resources 
are only being seen by the people that seek them. Yeah. Right. So it's all about getting people to understand the urgency of this and encouraging them to do a little Google search mm-hmm. and educate themselves. With We are talking about the parents, the caregivers, the nursery yeah. workers, the teachers. So we, we have a bit of a problem here because there is so much resource out there. But how are we going to encourage everybody to seek that resource out? Because otherwise it's just living in the internet space. Mm-hmm. So... Yes, there are lots of people that see the urgency on this and, and, and go and seek that information out. But there are more people who are not aware or um, encouraged or haven't been shown the urgency or the importance of this education. So one of my missions, um, which I feel like I'm going to be um, trying to accomplish my whole life, is how am I going to get this topic on people's table that haven't never really even thought about it? Yeah. Let's take my friends as an example, my friendship group, who I've all known from school. They would have never really thought about this topic unless I had brought it to them. Obviously, they follow me. They see what I'm doing. I'm their friend. So now they're all speaking with their children on this topic. But how would I have, how would, if I didn't know them, how could I get this topic on their table? Somebody who doesn't know anybody that's been through abuse before, somebody that doesn't follow anybody on social media that's been through abuse and wouldn't voluntarily go and seek it out. And I feel like film, animation, TV series, that's the kind of way we're going to get this topic on everybody's table because it's everybody's concern. Mm -hmm. How am I going to get a very clever drama on Netflix that is following the life of a survivor or following somebody who goes through abuse and seeing the aftermath of it or following a parent's story who unfortunately didn't speak with their children and then their children disclosed to them when they were 30 years old. How am I going to get this topic on platforms like that? How am I going to get people going into work the next day, making their coffee and being like, oh my goodness, I watched this thing on Netflix yesterday, right? It's about sexual abuse, which obviously is a topic nobody goes to themselves, but you need to check it out. It's an incredible drama. It had me gripped. In fact, I watched all three parts of the series last night. That's what I'm looking for. It's, it's just, it's going further, isn't it? It's, it's exactly as you said, you know, there, there are the resources out there. It's incredibly difficult for parents who have no idea about what, dangers or what's out there when I was teaching I was in North Manchester which was a huge hotspot for child um, sexual exploitation so we had the the police um, phoenix team in quite a lot and they were talking to the parents to to tell them all the the dangers and it's it's incredibly hard for schools to be able to do that because they're all totally stretched to absolute capacity. So as you said, it's it's getting that message through in a different in a different way. Right. Right. So even if we um managed even if uh, the police go and give a, a talk at a school or um a charity even a safeguarding charity or the NSPCC go and talk into a school and talk about the warnings and the signs that's obviously going to be useful Mm -hmm. Um, but to create something that people are going to follow with interest that has a slight entertainment value to it like Netflix TV series does um, let me give you a quick example of who achieved this 
extremely incredibly there was a um doc, there was a tv series called the queen's gambit on netflix it was a three-part series and it was following a girl through her life and it was um, she was a uh, training to be a chess she was trying to be a chess champion and this was released i don't know maybe a year or two years ago and it was one of um, Netflix's most successful TV series. And following that TV series, Amazon and eBay reported selling out of chess boards. Right. Now, we're talking about this program being released in 2021. Chess is an old-fashioned board game. But that TV series got everybody so interested in the game that they went out and bought something that was dying out. Right. Mm -hmm. So the reason why I use that example is because that drama, which is what it was, was so gripping and so enticing and got everybody with this girl. They wanted to play that game. They got curious about chess. They were interested in chess. They wanted to know more about chess so much, so much so that they bought the board game. Mm -hmm. Right. If we could do the same thing, but with this subject of child sexual abuse. Can we create something that's so gripping, so enticing that you follow a character that you actually then afterwards start Googling this topic? Yeah. You then actually start talking to your 15-year-old daughter about this character on Netflix. In fact, maybe you even watch the series with your 15-year-old daughter. Now, that's something that I'm aiming for. And I actually believe um, that it's possible. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with you. Absolutely. You know, the 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 power of of those those miniseries, as you said, it's like the ones that um, talk about uh, how people have managed to battle addiction right. and the story that they've done. It's 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 the same kind of, right. of thing, isn't it? Right. So um, what's that? A Star is Born, Lady Gaga. And yes. The other, right. So that the, the, the male character in there struggling with a drug um, addiction issue. Now, when yeah. you watch that, if you've never really considered the concept of addiction, alcohol, alcoholism, as, an, as the example they use, you can really feel that character struggle. Yeah. Right. So you've learned so much. And I bet you after watching that film, so many millions of people will now talk to somebody or think differently about somebody that is addicted to a substance like that. So you can see where the education is in the film. Yeah. Right. The education is in the film. It's not a classroom environment. It's not a lecture, right, that not many people warm to. It's a film with all the ed education embedded inside of it. And that is what I think it, uh, uh, I would like to, like to move forward for, yeah. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. Um, and the last thing that I wanted to to ask you is what would be your I know we've talked about this this before, but what would be your suggestion for victims of abuse? What would you what would you suggest that that they do if they're really struggling about where to go next? So I would say that there are so many incredible options today available. There are incredible Facebook pages. Instagram pages, even TikTok accounts now, that you could follow um, somebody who's speaking out and follow their journey and take some inspiration from them. Mm -hmm. Follow somebody who is very encouraging and every time you come across one of their posts, you feel really um, interested in, in reading what they've got to say. But there are also pages 
in particular on Facebook, one of them's called Tell Somebody, for example, and they are just sharing people's stories and people can write in and they can share their story. You can follow them. There's also so many incredible therapists posting great stuff, psychologists, professionals posting great stuff. And if you're looking for um, someone, um, some form of uh, encouragement, if that's something you're after, you can go and check all of this space out online. If you are in a position where you're thinking that you would like to actually say something out loud, then I suppose... And I always try to stay away from giving actual direct advice because yeah. I'm not a professional. I'm just somebody who has done some things for myself. So when I was thinking about talking for the first time, I just made sure that the person that I was going to speak to was somebody who I trusted entirely. So I suppose if I can tell you what I did, then if that's something that you're looking to do, then then to find somebody who you're trusting entirely would be incredible. Um, I run a platform called Something to Say, and there we are sharing people's stories. I actually got the inspiration from that Tell Somebody page from Facebook. And um, because I got so much confidence and, and an incredible feeling of release from telling my story, I wanted to give other people the opportunity to do the same if they wish to do so. So actually, if you would like to follow a new resource, it's called Something to Say. You can find it on all the platforms and we're doing incredible things there. And it's all about strength and courage because what happened to you has happened now. It's over. It's finished. It's not happening anymore. I know it's painful and I know it causes great discomfort and it's very uncomfortable when you think about it. But I truly believe that there's a way forward, in particular that we can learn from what happened to us and ensure that it doesn't happen to the young people around us moving forward. I don't believe that it has to be only dark and gloomy. I believe that the fact that we're all still here living and breathing to tell our stories or even just to continue our lives is pure strength and courage. And I feel like I just want to encourage as many people as I can with the work that I'm putting out there. Absolutely. And if anybody does want to, to find out any more from what you're doing, would you suggest that they go to your website as well? Yes, just go straight to my website, jeremyindica.com, and all the links are there, all the work is there, all the history of this project, how I started it, what happened when I left my engineering career to pursue this, and what we're currently got ongoing with the newsletter, the launch of the podcast coming soon, the merchandise that we've released, and the vision for the future, and where we're trying to take this with what, like what I mentioned with Netflix, etc., Fantastic. And we'll make sure that we put all of that information in our show notes as well. So you'll be able to to find that. Jeremy, thank you so much for coming and speaking to us today and sharing your story with us as well and supporting all of our, our safeguarders to make that difference. No problem at all. Thank you so much for inviting me. If anybody has any questions or would like to talk more about certain parts of this podcast, please, if you do go to my website, there's an um, inquiries box there and it comes straight through to me. Thank you for the opportunity and thank you for all the work you're doing as well. Thank you so much. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And remember, keep yourself safe because you are all our safe guardians. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Safeguarding Podcast. For resources and more information about our safeguarding solutions, please visit thesafeguardingcompany.com. 
And don't forget, if you've enjoyed this episode, subscribe and feel free to rate us using whichever podcast provider you use.